Please stand for the reading of God's word. The passage today is John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever, wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's word. Close of our study in the Gospel of John. And we've recently seen that Jesus was crucified and apparently defeated as his disciples ran and hid. And there was virtually no one left by his side except for a handful of women and two secret disciples up to that moment. And then the most astonishing event in all of human history occurred. Jesus rose from the dead. And that evening he met with his disciples. That meeting turned a handful of disciples into bold evangelists and their message transformed the world. See, Jesus had likened his kingdom to a mustard seed, the smallest seed of all, and that when it was planted, it would grow bigger than all the bushes and become a tree where the birds would live and build their nests. The seed is the death of Jesus Christ. The growth of the tree happened because of what happened that evening in that upper room. Jesus commissioned his disciples. He sent them out as the Father had sent him. 
to bring the world the, the message of life. He equipped them with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, the kingdom of God grew through their evangelism and through their discipleship. The last two weeks we focused on evangelism. This week our passage is about discipleship. At the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, Jesus commands his, disciple, his, his disciples to make disciples of the whole world. Our emphasis at Westgate over the past couple of years has been on evangelism, on reaching out into our community, of God transforming our culture from being inward to being outward. We're going to continue a focus on evangelism, but we also now want to move forward in discipleship. Today's message lays the foundation for what disciples have to be. We have a retreat coming up at Sandy Island next week. We'll still meet here and we'll conclude the Gospel of John. But at our retreat, the focus is going to be on discipleship. And we've chosen our speaker. It's Dr. DeCampos from Gordon-Conwell and he heads the Ministry of Discipleship at Gordon-Conwell. He's going to teach us about what Jesus' discipleship is like in the Gospel of Mark. And I encourage those who come here to eventually listen to his talks at Sandy Island. Our next two Sunday school classes, as you've probably already heard, one's going to be on evangelism, the other on discipleship, where we begin to experience discipleship. You know, most of us think that discipleship is about hearing God's command and then doing it. You've probably heard it over and over again about the Christian life. God said it, therefore I do it. But it's more than that. It's about obeying Christ, following his commands, because we love him. And we love him because he loves us. And that's really the foundation of discipleship. We have to embrace the love of Jesus Christ so fully that it draws us into a deep love relationship with him and out of that love relationship, we follow Jesus Christ, in particular, his call to disciple. So the order shouldn't be simply, God said it, I obey it. It should be, I know God's love and I love him so I hear his voice and I obey it. Let's pray. Our Father, meet us today, each one of us, where we are. If we have been prepared, God, and called to disciple, may we invest in others' lives. If we are still in the earlier stages of our growth, Lord, may we see the import of being in a deep, authentic relationship with other Christians, whereby we grow together. Lord, Speak to us this morning. Draw us around that fire where Peter and Jesus spoke of love. In Christ's name we pray. There's a story about a woman who married a demanding tyrant. 
And he wrote a list of everything that she should do. It would begin with, wake up at 6 o'clock, prepare my clothes, make me breakfast, make sure the newspaper's next to my plate, and then go into the bathroom and make sure there's a towel and my shaver and my shaving cream. And after I leave for work, I think you should clean up the bathroom and then make sure, and she goes on and on and on. And every day she followed what he said. And she was spent and exhausted spiritually and emotionally. After a few years, that husband died. And she eventually met a man who was the exact opposite from her husband. A man who was loving and caring. A man who put her needs above his. A man who served her. And she fell in love with him. And so they married. And after a couple years into their relationship, she was cleaning out a drawer and she came across the list from her first husband. And she looked at that list and realized she was doing all those things for her new husband. They were coming from her heart. And they were no longer exhausting, but they were joyful for her to do them. You know, that story is fictional as far as I know, but it does paint the picture of Jesus Christ and what our relationship with him should be like. That what he calls us to is not a burden when we love him. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, our passage, and we're going to first see Jesus' love for Peter. Then we're going to see Peter's love for Jesus and then see Jesus' command, his commission to Peter. So we begin with Jesus' love for a man who had failed miserably. Peter had been one of Jesus' inner three disciples. Jesus had invested his life in Peter. And when Jesus spoke about that he was going to be leaving, Peter pushed himself forward and declared that he would go with Jesus no matter what the cost. He boasted that he would never leave Jesus no matter how bad things got. Everyone else might deserve, desert Jesus, but not Peter. Jesus lovingly corrected him and told Peter that Peter would deny him three times that very evening before the cock crowed. I'm sure at that point, Peter must have muttered to himself, yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> Initially, he stood by his pledge to Jesus. When they were in the garden and the soldiers came, Peter wielded his sword and Jesus rebuked him. Still, Peter followed Jesus and the soldiers to the house of Annas, where the first trial was held. And while he was outside, the little servant girl who was watching over the door said to him, are, are you one of his followers? And he denied it. And as he warmed himself next to that charcoal fire, over and over he was asked about his relationship with Jesus. And over and over again, he denied it. Again and again, he swore that he didn't know Jesus. 
And then the rooster crowed. And he fled and wept in shame. How could Jesus love anyone like Peter? How could he love someone who deserted him at his greatest moment of need? It's a feeling that many of us experience. When we realize the depths of our sinfulness, we wonder, can Jesus really love me? Back in my seminary days, I used to work in a warehouse, and one of the times I was with a young man loading a trailer, and I was talking to him about Jesus, and he looked at me and he said, Jesus could never love me. He says, you don't know all the things I've done. It's what many of us feel, and it's most likely what Peter felt when that cock crowed. But Jesus loved him, and he loved him completely. We see Jesus' love in the washing of the disciples' feet, in the upper room teaching where he spoke of the depth of his love for his disciples. We see it in Luke 22, where Jesus predicted that Peter would fail, but then be restored. We see it in Jesus' love and his blessing of the disciples, including Peter after his resurrection, in their shared meal. And we see the fact that Peter himself understood that love and felt that love. For after Jesus had spoken of them casting their nets on the other side and they pulled up their nets full of fish and John pointed to the man on the shore who told him to put their nets on the other side of the boat. He said, it's the Lord. And Peter hurriedly put on his outer cloak and he cast himself into that river excuse me, into that sea, and he swam fast, as fast as he could to get to Jesus. He knew Jesus' love. Jesus knew Peter's weakness. Jesus knew how Peter wavered. He knew Peter's false bravado, his arrogance, his selfishness, his need to paper over his true self. Yet Jesus loved him despite all of this. The same is true of us. Jesus knows everything about us. And yet he loves us enough to die for us. Now in the movie Fisher King, Amanda Plummer plays a really klutzy, mousy wallflower who has no friends. And Robin Williams takes her out and at the end of the day she says... He takes her in and says, I want to talk to you. And she says, no, no. If you got to know me, you wouldn't like me. I'm tired of rejection. It was nice to go out, but uh, everyone who gets to know me doesn't like me. So thanks anyway. And Robin Williams says, but I do know you. I know you think you're awkward. I know that you think you're clumsy, and I know that you are kind of clumsy. But I want you to know that I know who you are, and I love you. And I will never leave you, and I will never, ever forsake you. And she looks at him, and she says, are you real? We hear echoes of Jesus' heart in our passage. Only it isn't about accepting Peter and accepting us because we're awkward and clumsy. 
He accepts us despite the depths of our sinfulness. He knows all of our thoughts, our motives, our actions, what we do in the dark. He knows our selfishness and our self-centeredness, and he loves us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, and he will never, ever leave us or forsake us. And yes, he is real, and his love is real. And this is what led Peter to love Jesus, as 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Peter declared his love for Jesus because he felt Jesus' love for him. And so we see Peter's declaration of his love in John 21, verses 15 through 17, and I read it again. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus told, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus commissioned Peter to feed his lambs and to tend his sheep based on one condition. It wasn't based on any sense of remorse or a promise, a pledge, or any ability in Peter's life. Jesus didn't ask Peter, do you promise to never deny me again? Or can I count on you? Can I trust you? Or will you stand with me no matter what? Nor did he say, you know, you're a fisherman, first go to seminary. You willing? Or you're hot-headed and self-absorbed. Will you become a better Christian? Jesus' one condition is found in the question, do you love me? It's the one thing that Jesus needed from Peter. It's the one thing that Jesus looks for in us. If he has our love, everything else falls into place. We'll listen to him. We'll follow him. We'll invest our lives in his work. We'll grow spiritually. We'll be bold and courageous. He will come first in our lives and his desires will become our desires. We're transformed by his love for us and our love for him. You know, if I asked you at the beginning of this morning, what's the most important quality of a servant of God? How many of us would have said Love. But that's what Jesus asks. And so Jesus wanted to dig down so deeply into Peter's life that Peter grasped this and never left it that he asked the question three times. And Peter responded, yes, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. You know all things, you know I love you. But in the process... Peter was more and more frustrated with Jesus each time he asked the question. 
It says at the end that Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question three times. He was tired of the questions. He wanted to move on because the repeated questions reminded him of his sin and failure. Imagine Jesus asking us, do you love me? And we'd say, yes, we love you. Do you love me? And we begin to wonder, you know, I just said it. Yeah, I love you. And then he says it a third time, and now we're beginning to think, what's he getting at here? I don't know if he really believes my love. What, have I, what has my life been? Has my life really measured up to and been consistent with my declaration that I love Jesus? And all of a sudden, we begin to do some soul searching. And that's what's happening in Peter. The repeated questions reminded him of his sin and failure. Jesus' purpose wasn't to drive home how sinful Peter was. It was to refine Peter so that he could become a servant leader. The entire scene brings us back to Peter's denial. As Travis pointed out last week, it takes place around a charcoal fire. It only occurs twice in Scripture. It was around a charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus. And now we have a charcoal fire again. When Jesus asks, do you love me more than these? He's most likely pointing to the other disciples because Peter basically said, I love you more than these other disciples when he said, they may all desert you, but I never will. And then he asked the question, Three times, just like Peter had denied Jesus three times. Brings him back to that failure. It points back to Peter's boasts and Peter's sin. You know, it's as though Jesus was stabbing him three times and each time turning the knife. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But it wasn't Jesus stabbing him. It was Jesus using a surgeon's scalpel in Peter's life. Jesus wasn't laying a guilt trip on him. He was helping Peter face realities about himself that God would change. That's love. David Paulinson wrote a book entitled God's Love, Better Than Unconditional. And here's a description of it. God's unconditional love sounds nice, but is it enough? Is there more to God's love? Describing unconditional love as blanket acceptance and benign affirmation, David Paulinson challenges our common assumptions about the nature of God's love. Although wonderfully accepting, divine love is also intrusive, intimate, personal, and active. Instead of simply loving us as we are, God loves us enough to change us. We need to understand that love is more than acceptance. It is acceptance, but it's more than acceptance. Our culture today sees love as acceptance. And so they have a difficult time when we might say, you are a sinner who needs a savior. No, God accepts us. 
But the most loving thing of a surgeon is to do surgery on someone who has a cancerous tumor. It'd be unloving to do the other. Jesus' love extends to speaking into Peter's life, to helping Peter begin to realize his sinfulness, the real depth of it. Jesus' love accepted and challenged Peter. Jesus' repeated questions reminded Peter of his brazen arrogance, the audacity of his self-righteousness, and the depth of his sin. Peter's realization of how much he sinned began the work of transformation in his life. It was the seed of Peter becoming the man that he became. It would lead to him depending on the Holy Spirit. It would deepen his love for Jesus. See, when God does surgery on us, he shows us the depths of our sin. And when he does, we need to let the light shine into our darkness because that's love, and we're responding to that love. It will lead us to be honest with ourselves. And when we're honest with ourselves and see how great our sin is, we begin to see how great Christ's sacrifice was. As he taught earlier in Luke 7, he who was forgiven little loves little. He who was forgiven much loves much. If we think we've only sinned a, a tiny bit, we're going to see Jesus' sacrifice as covering this tiny bit. That's how great his love is. But when we realize how expansive God's love is, how great our sin is, that's when we see how expansive God's love is. And we love in return. We need to let God show us ourselves. Then we get to see how big he is. we allow the Holy Spirit to search us, we'll see the expanse of our sin, realize the expanse of his sacrifice, and love him to that great measure. Peter's failure did not disqualify him from ministry, from being a shepherd. It actually qualified him. And Jesus knew this in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Before he was arrested, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith won't fail in the end. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus has predicted, Peter, you are going to fall but you will be restored. And in that process, you will be equipped. You will become a man who can restore others. And think about it. Imagine how many people through the ages have been encouraged by Peter's story. How many of people like that young man in the trailer who said, God could never love me. You don't know how much I've failed then when they hear Peter's story, they can say, if God could forgive, and forgive that man, yes, maybe he can forgive me. If Jesus' love could love and give a ministry to Peter, then he can do the same 
for any of us. So Jesus commissioned Peter to be a discipler. After each of Peter's declaration of love, Jesus said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You see, a spiritual shepherd must be able to empathize with others. It needs to be connect and to show them the way forward. It's precisely because Peter failed that he can empathize with those who are weak, connect with them, assure them of forgiveness, and show them the way forward. He can humbly come alongside them because he's been humbled. He can authentically lead them because he's faced his own sinfulness and found grace. And he would trust God's spirit rather than his own strength, wisdom, and power because he knew his weaknesses. So what's Jesus' commission? To shepherd his flock, to feed his sheep. When you think of those two terms, we realize that he's describing the discipleship experience. Discipleship is about looking for, looking out for, and feeding those whom God has given us. It's about mentoring people, giving them what we possess, and pouring it into their lives through a close and intimate relationship. But note Jesus' words. He says, feed my sheep. These aren't Peter's sheep. They're not our sheep. They're Jesus' sheep. You see, if we think we're discipling people who belong to us, it's going to have a lot of implications. We're going to begin to think we're superior to them because we're the teacher, we're the discipler. We might become more demanding and want to take control of their lives so that they grow and follow what Jesus wants because we feel the responsibility for them. We're going to build our self-image on how they function. If there's no growth in them, we're going to feel like failures. If, if they blossom spiritually, we're going to pat ourselves on the back and take credit for it. They're not our sheep. They're Jesus' sheep. We're to follow Jesus' mission by pouring out our lives into theirs. And if we see them as Jesus' sheep, we'll care for them tenderly just like Jesus did. We'll be humble because imagine we're entrusted with Jesus' sheep. And we'll disciple them for God's glory, not our own. The task is to feed and to shepherd. To feed reminds us that discipleship isn't about controlling people. It isn't about guaranteeing results. It's about feeding them. It's about nourishing them with God's truth. To shepherd reminds us about Jesus himself being the good shepherd. Always caring for and looking after those we serve, no matter what the cost. Because the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And of course, this leads to the question about Peter. Is Peter willing to do that? And we read in verse 21, chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, that Peter would pay the cost. 
As Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he said, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And then after saying it, he said, follow me. Imagine. See, earlier Peter had denied Jesus because he didn't want to follow Jesus' path to the cross. Now Peter professed his love for Jesus. Has anything changed? Would he still profess his love even if it would mean he would suffer the same fate as Jesus? Jesus wanted Peter to count the cost. So he pictured the kind of death that Peter would face and then said, follow me. We know from history that Peter met the call because he loved Jesus. Eusebius in his ecclesiastical history informs us that Peter died by crucifixion. Quote, It's therefore recorded that Paul was beheaded in Rome itself and that Peter likewise was crucified under Nero. This account of Peter and Paul is substantiated by the fact that their names are preserved in the cemeteries of that place even to the present day, which was around 300 AD. Peter counted the cost and declared, I love you, Lord. The cost is different for each of us. But the good shepherd's willing to pay the cost, whatever it is. You know, in the movie Sister Act, Whoopi Goldberg leads a, a chorus of nuns. And she, she engages people by using the lyrics of song, love songs and replacing the loved one with God. And one of the songs summarizes the exact steps of what we see this morning. The song's called, I Will Follow Him. And it tells us why we follow. It says, ever since he touched my heart, I knew there isn't an ocean too deep, a mountain so high it can keep Keep me away, keep me away from his love. Begins with his love. And then how do we respond to his love? It goes, I love him, I love him, I love him. And where does that love lead? And so I'll follow, I'll follow, I'll follow. I will follow him. Follow him wherever he may go. That's the pattern of discipleship. That's the foundation we need to begin to build upon, knowing his love and that nothing can separate us from that love. And so we love him because he first loved us. And we will follow him, no matter what the cost. May this be our pattern as we continue to move forward in following Jesus' call to make us disciples. Let's pray. Father, what a call. What a privilege 
to be engaged in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ, with those who, with whom we have the same purpose, the same mission, the same Lord, the same Spirit. We are the body of Christ together. Mold us together. Bring us into authentic relationships where you move among us and refine us that we each become more and more the image of Christ and that Westgate itself becomes a model and a light to the world of who Christ is. In Jesus' name we pray.